Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to yet another episode of Across the Pond. It's episode 72, Barry. Uh, a crazy number as always. I mean, we haven't even really caught up too much personally behind the scenes because I know you were very, very concerned about us starting on time today. And I get that because <laughs> the last couple of weeks we said we would start at a certain time and uh, we had some technical issues or you know, we were being perfectionists, perhaps perfectionists. Let me do that slowly. Um, but yeah, today we, we, we stuck to it and, and here we are. Indeed, we are only a few episodes into this live experience. We're still trying to figure out some of the kinks and make sure everything works as planned. And so I'm very chuffed that today we got to start on time. So if you're joining us live, welcome. If you listen to us after the fact, welcome as well. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the week. And I'm excited for this one, Chad. We have a lot of cool stuff this week. As well, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, just to just to chat about where we are at the moment, uh, one hour time difference, Barry, that's uh, always quite a noteworthy thing for across the pond. And although my uh, my wind, my sort of, what are they called? Like my curtains are closed. Uh, there still is very much a whole lot of light going on outside. So, uh, you know, it, it makes such a big difference. We had two days of wonderful weather over here. Uh, and the moods as a result are just, you know, way, way better than, than before. So things are things are looking good. Things are looking bright. Um, how about your end? You, you barely remembering your name, went to bed fairly late last night. Uh, the man's been busy. Oh, Chad, it's been a crazy two or three days. I, I, I've been ghostwriting a book for one of my clients. And so cool. that's kind of been consuming my whole my whole life. <laughs> and uh, it's due tomorrow. So I've spent the last basically 48 hours just trying to get through as much as I can and try and get it done. And it's one of those things where you get to like 90% done and you think it's 90% done, but what it actually is is 50% done. <laughs> and so you kind of delude yourself into thinking just a couple more hours and this thing will be ready. But unfortunately, it's yeah. taken a lot longer than I expected. So I will finish it after this episode and hopefully submitted today but it's been a crazy couple of days that's for sure hopefully not 4 a.m again barry because uh, that kind of stuff is, is not healthy um but yeah <laughs> interesting shall we move on let's to chat about this week let's do it chad the week that was The number one story that everyone is talking about, Chad. It's so, so exciting. Um, this ginormous ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal is finally free. <laughs> After five days of trying finally. to get this thing out of the canal, it is finally free. And we're going to talk you through all of it right from the beginning, Chad. But just what a what an amusing kind of global conversation around this ship. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know about you. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of these stories where all of a sudden you've got the... Uh, all the, the logistics experts crawl out of the woodwork. Uh, you know, we've got all of these kind of topical, um, you know, newsworthy stuff that, that pops across. And all of a sudden, you've got these closet experts that just appear. Um, personally, full full disclosure, I am not one of those experts. Um, but of course, you know, looked a little bit into this. And I mean, of course, you know, a really, really important canal um, and I guess you'll explain exactly why. Yeah, for sure. So the Suez Canal is one of the most important shipping routes in the whole world, right? For those who don't know, it's in Egypt, and it kind of connects the global south to the global north. So if you're trying to ship goods anywhere around the world, it often is the most it often is the most kind of logical and easiest way to get there because it's like a little tiny, tiny little gap between the two continents that can get to the northern hemisphere. 
and it was kind of created or kind of uh, half created by man, half created by nature and kind of been turned into the shipping route to help people so they don't have to go all the way around South Africa like they used to do. If you look back in back in, back in the old days, you'd have to sh you have to sail all the way around the Cape of Good Hope to get to the right. US and to get to the other side of the world and vice versa. So the Suez Canal has, has enabled shipping to be much faster because of this. But what we don't realize is that it's actually a tiny, tiny little canal, Chad. I think it's less than 300 meters wide, yeah. which makes it absolutely needle in a haystack. You've got to be absolutely perfect when you're going through that thing. Um, and there's a lot of volume going through that. There's about 50 or so ships that go through every single day. Yeah. And that might not sound like a lot, but when you see the size of these ships, you, you realize this is actually a huge deal. Like the kind of ships that go through here are the size of skyscrapers. They are these ginormous things that carry millions and millions and millions of items in these giant containers. And so they weigh absolutely crazy amounts. Yeah, and I mean, what just happened to, in, just this, to put in, in the Suez Canal? Yes. Perspective. I mean, this particular ship, Barry, 400 meters long, it's sort of four football fields, one ship. Uh, it, it really is when you put it into perspective, isn't it? It's the size of the Eiffel Tower, Chad. If you were to lie the Eiffel Tower on its side, that's how long the ship is. And it's this ginormous Crazy. thing. It's carrying over 18,000 containers. And apparently, I don't know how this happens, Chad, but apparently there was a gust of wind that blew this thing <laughs> and it got lodged in the canal. So basically it kind of from got lodged its both its front and its back into the two riverbanks and lodged itself so much that it was stuck for a couple of days and i just don't know how that i don't know how that happens <laughs> yeah it's kind of, it's kind of crazy i mean when i was looking into this um you know for the last sort of 40 years there have been a, a similar volume of ships going through there just in terms of the traffic um and similar sized ships right so it's not a size of ship that the canal hasn't been able to handle um, but but yeah, just crazy that it gets stuck for nearly a week. Um, I mean, I believe part of the reason is is to do with the, the sheer amount of weight that these ships are now carrying, uh, which you know compared to forty years ago, uh, it it just doesn't doesn't uh, compare. So eighteen thousand containers, uh, very clearly, very clearly, quite a heavy ship as well. Um, I mean, obviously, in terms of the efforts to to actually dislodge this thing when it did get wedged and get stuck. Uh, I mean, you know, entailed 13 tugboats. Um, and of course, to, to try and get rid of the sand that's underneath it, um, you know, they had to they had to get rid of a whole bunch of sand to, to move it free. But like you say, luckily, finally, it's free. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those weird things where, where when we look at the picture, we're just like, okay, let's put two boats on either side and tug in different directions and just pull it back straight. Like, what's all the fuss about? Yeah. And that's what a lot of the jokes and, 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 and the, the memes on Twitter were about is that it looks so easy to free this thing. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. And so five mm. days of the best the, 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 the best shipping experts in the world trying to figure it out and eventually they managed to get it right. What I was curious about is I wondered why they weren't taking some of the weight off. So why weren't they taking some of the containers yeah. off the ship to try and make it a bit lighter? And so I read, a, read into it, and apparently it's because they can't get to the middle of the ship to take the middle ones off. And so if you if you take the, the weight off the two edges of the ship, there's so much weight, the ship's almost going to fold towards the middle. Oh, right. Because you take the you have to take the, the containers off in a very specific way and in a very right. kind of uh, methodical way. And so I found that fascinating. Imagine mm -hmm. something that's so heavy like that, that if you took like the wrong containers off at the wrong time, you could bend the whole ship in half. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, that's 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 insane. That, that really is absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously... 
as a result of this, Barry, I mean, we've heard of the, the kind of crazy havoc that this caused. Uh, more than 300 vessels queuing behind this ship. I mean, the name we haven't mentioned, but everyone knows it. It's the Ever Given, owned by Evergreen. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's just a crazy backlog. Um, and of course, on the back of this, loads of questions about the price of these goods, uh, whether we're going to see some of the costs increased uh, and sort of add, you know, be passed along to consumers. Yeah, you thought home affairs queues were bad, Chad, until you're behind 300 ships trying to get through the Suez Canal. And you realize that this, it, it pretty much brought the whole world shipping to a halt, right? Mm. Some ships kind of gave up after a day or two and have now started to go around the Cape of Good Hope. I'm sure they don't feel so good about themselves now that it's free. <laughs> but, but some of them decided they're going to try different routes. But if you're mm. stuck behind those ships and there's no way to get through, that's just, that, unfortunately, that's what happens. And the way that the shipping industry works is that everything is so carefully controlled on a time base. Like yeah. if you think about Amazon deliveries or any of these any of these deliveries where they say, cool, it's delivered by this point in time. And so any delays, anything that gets in the way is going to raise costs, is going to cause havoc. And there, there's been some economists talking about how this could cause the whole shipping industry, all of the shipping costs around the world, no, no matter how far away you are, to rise over the next year just because of this one incident. Uh, I think at one stage they were losing $400 million an hour or something crazy wow. like that because of the, the the contents that weren't able to get to their destination. So I, I, don't, I don't think we understand just how big the ship was and just how much of a hassle and what headache it was that it got stuck and blocked all the hundreds of ships behind it. Yeah, and then again, it's the it's the uncertainty when you're in that moment of how long it's actually going to take to unwedge this thing. Um, you know, like you say, the the world's experts working on it, but uh, at the same time, it, it it still took a good number of days. Um, and yeah, just just as a crazy thought that a ship can get wedged, block, uh, you know, block <laughs> the, the the most popular sort of route, uh, like you say, south to north to south, whatever the case is. Um, just an insane story so talking about some of the memes barry and talking about some of the, the humor now that it's been wedged free it's not too soon i don't think um to, <laughs> to look at uh, some of the humorous sides of this event why don't you talk us through some of your favorite ones uh, i mean we've got them here on the screen uh but for the be benefit of those listening to our podcast afterwards as well um let's just kind of paint a picture for them too with our words <laughs> oh, the memes were so great, Chad. It's certainly one of my favorite ones. <laughs> so this first one is one I really love. So for those who are listening, there's there's the ship and there's this tiny little excavator, this tiny, tiny little <laughs> machine that's trying to do some work, pulling some sand on the on the riverbank. And on the ship, it says, my COVID depression and anxiety. And then the little excavator is going on a daily walk. And I think it's something we all felt throughout this yeah, lockdown, how we definitely. all talked about how just, just go for exercise. You'll, you'll, you'll fix your mental health. It'll all be fine. Uh, but but it's actually a much bigger elephant in the room of being locked inside for a year. I don't know if you relate to this one, Chad. Of course, definitely. I mean, it certainly helps in every little piece. Of course, part of the reason why it got you know dislodged was the the sand kind of getting rid of those <laughs> uh, that build up underneath. And the, and the daily walk does that. It does. It does give you a bit of clarity and it does boost your mood temporarily. But without those thirteen tugboats, Barry, uh, without you, <laughs> you know, doing other stuff, um, that that. And that depression and anxiety in this metaphor or the ever given who is still wedged uh, between the canal, uh, I, I think it's, it's definitely an effective one. And like you say, after the year that we've all had, um, certainly rings true. Okay, so let's let's look at the next one. <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this is a great one for any for any friends watchers. Um, 
Why did you love this one so much? Oh, Chad, if anyone who's watched Friends and is a, fr- is a fan of Friends will all know the episode where they're trying to get the sofa up the stairs and there's yeah. that famous scene of Ross screaming, pervert, 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 and they kind of mm. lose their mind at each other. And so this meme is just the ship and them shouting, pervert the ship, pervert the ship. It's so, so great. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be moving in the next couple of weeks. I, I bet I'm going to be using my pivot voice uh, very soon. Uh, so, yeah, luckily I'm not going to be moving something as big as this this ship. The next one, Barry, uh, was actually looking at a uh, a Twitter sort of tweet that you saw, a nice little gif. Um, and, and this one's pretty rad. Uh, you know, someone trying to really make the absolute most uh, of, of a crazy situation. Um, my favorite chat is watching all the Twitter users just with all their sarcastic ideas as to how to solve this problem. And lots of people saying, just pull it from here and just pull it from here and it's solved. What are you worried yeah. about? And so this is a quite a futuristic idea of uh, building a ramp on the Ever Given <laughs> and then racing the ships up and ramping over it to get to the other side of the Suez Canal. Yeah. So I just thought it's, it's really out of the box thinking, Chad, and I'm surprised they didn't try <laughs> naturally naturally uh you know they they clearly have those kind of motors and the canal was clearly built built to withstand all of the all of that extra force uh you know so much extra water that can be spared along the banks every single time one of these ships uh, ramps (laughs) off of it uh but yeah definitely quite an effective hilarious uh meme are there any more are there are there are some more uh there's so many there's so many we're talking about the the, the, the first quarter of memes. Uh, I mean, and, and you're so right. Uh, the first one on the left is, is uh, Bernie Sanders chilling there at the, the Biden inauguration with his mittens. Uh, <laughs> clearly not very happy to be there. Uh, followed by, of course, the little excavator sitting next to the very daunting, humongous <laughs> evergreen, uh, ever given, shall I say. And lastly, uh, it's Oprah in her... In her uh, glass box, uh, which I which I really <laughs> enjoyed. You enjoyed that one quite a bit too, didn't you? Oh, so good, Chad. So good. And it really has been an amazing kind of few months for memes. If you go to the next yeah. one, Chad, it kind of draws us naturally into the next meme, which is the ship now that it's been freed is probably going to get its own Oprah interview. Um, and, and the little quote at the top of this one says, were you a container oh, ship or were you a contained ship? And so I'm looking forward to that Oprah interview. <laughs> oh, I love this because I, I actually didn't look at the notes. Uh, so this is the very first time I'm seeing this. Uh, what a what a great one. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you think the, the most messy thing the ship's going to say back? Oh, I don't know, dude. I, what do ships even speak? I don't know what they're <laughs> going to come back with. It's going to be an interesting interview, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And the, the last one, the one that we've led with in our live stream oh. cover, uh, which is... Which it just brings it just brings the soundtrack. You, you can't you can't read it and not and not hear it. Chad, this brings back so many good childhood <laughs> memories. So for those who are, are listening, or it, it says Evergreen on the ship because that's the company, and then the little comment goes like this: "I'm gonna take this moment <laughs> and make it last forever. <laughs> gonna give my heart away." And Love pray it. we'll stay together. Such a good song. And of course, one of my favorite memes just because of that. Good old oh. Will Young back in the day. <laughs> oh, good old Will Young. Back in the day of, uh, yeah, American Idol. I mean, is that even still a thing anymore? It is, Chad. I actually, yeah. I actually saw a advert for it. I mean, I think it's lost a bit of its sparkle. They've now yeah. got um, Katy Perry as a judge. They've got, okay. well, I don't even know the other two. 
Um, but I haven't seen much from them, to be honest. I think it's a bit hard to hold a singing competition in these kind of COVID days. I know they've been trying to do it virtually, but it's just not the same. So, yeah, yeah who knows? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, especially even looking at uh, The Voice. I've watched a couple of episodes of that. Uh, and you've actually got these little screens in the studio of audience members tuned in via Zoom. I mean, you know, doing the, doing their best to, uh, to try and make it look and feel authentic. But there's just it just doesn't match up, does it? No, not really. And unfortunately, you just can't capture that 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 nature of that live crowd. And and what is singing if you can't share it with somebody, right? It's just it's not the same. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a very interesting comment uh, coming through from Angela. I don't know why it's not popping onto our broadcast. Uh, that is, oh, there it is. Uh, was there anything just out of interest? Do you think Barry, anything that the driver could have done differently to prevent this? Do you think? Do you think it was a gust of wind, or do you think he fell asleep on he or she? Fell asleep on their on their job, or uh, you know potentially try to do you know when you when you're on a bicycle and you 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 kind of doing speed wobbles uh, to, because it's fun because it's fun. Do you think that was the case? Yeah, or anything could have been done differently. <laughs> Chad, from all of my years of, of ship uh, captaining experience, I can certainly talk to this with, with a lot of expertise. Naturally, naturally. I've, I've got no idea. I've got no idea what happened. I've got no idea. But, but imagine that's your legacy. Imagine you're, this, you're, you're, you're a ship captain and your legacy is that you're the one person who got stuck in the Suez Canal. Like, I, I don't think he's got a job today. He surely yeah. can't. <laughs> yeah, no, naturally. P- popping that on your CV. Uh, yeah, I, I, worked for, I worked for Evergreen. I, I, you know, Evergiven was my regular... Uh, my regular go-to and uh yeah i think that's 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 very much the end of your job search um well moving on swiftly from that then barry uh talking a bit more about technology i mean i've been bragging for quite a long period of time about the wonders uh, the marvels the wonders and and even the implications in terms of public transport as well of of apple pay um and you know obviously this side it, it took a little while just for all of the banks to uh sign up as well but at the moment uh, I don't really leave the house with my, my card anymore. Um, I, I have everything that I need with me. Uh, and you can now finally share in some of that excitement too. Indeed. So it was announced that Apple Pay is finally in South Africa. And it's been a long time coming. I mean, the, all the competitors have been here for a while. Samsung Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, all the other pays have been yep. here for a couple of years now. But Apple Pay, for some reason, hasn't been here. And we found out this week that it is finally on our shores. Unfortunately, awesome. not with my bank, Chad. So I'm a little bit upset ah, with that. But hopefully that's yeah. coming down the pipe. <laughs> but at the moment, if you're a NetBank customer, an APSA customer, or a Discovery Bank customer, you can... Um, add your card to your to your Apple Pay today, and you can use it from 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 now. So that's really exciting to see. I'm very excited for when F and B gets on board, where I can start using this little watch of mine to uh, go and go and pay for my groceries. I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's really it really is pretty cool. I mean, I always wonder why it takes a while for some banks to sign up. I mean, I had the exact same thing uh, with a with a Challenger Bank that I'm very passionate about. I mean, I've, I've lost passion a little bit, to be completely honest, because of the sheer <laughs> number of uh, adverts or you know calls to action that they've been sending through, uh, it certainly does uh, you know drop the uh, enthusiasm level. But a, a bank called Revolut, I don't know if you've heard of them, uh, fintech challenger bank, um, they took an extremely long period of time to to get signed up with with Apple with Apple uh, Pay. So out of interest, do you, do you have any thoughts on why it is that they take so long? I mean, potentially some of the costs involved. Uh, surely there's there's some sort of margin implications. Uh, w- what are the thoughts? I'm really not sure. Like it's 
it doesn't seem like too difficult an integration to me. As, as far as I understand, it's purely a digital kind of software integration because right. <clears throat> at the end of the day, you're still using an NFT, NF, uh, not NFT, what NFC? is it called? A, <laughs> NFC. NFC, <laughs> NFC <laughs> code to, to pay. So whether you're using a tap card or whether you're using a, a device. So yep. there, there should be no difficulties there. So I'm not quite sure why. I'm, I'm sure it takes a lot with the contracts behind the scenes and mm. I'm sure Apple wants to cut and so there might be negotiations yep. there and all sorts of things. So yeah, I, I don't know why some banks are quicker than others. Maybe some feel it's more risky. Or maybe yep. some banks just don't have enough Apple users to actually make it worthwhile, right? Um, so so who knows? I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the reasons are, but I'm hoping that F&B comes on board pretty soon. I, I saw on Twitter that their fans have been uh, berating them for not being on it. So they certainly, they certainly have yeah. heard about it from their fans. It's on the list. And so hopefully that's going to come in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising because uh, of all of the banks, F&B has seemed to be one of the ones that uh, is a little bit, uh, with, you know, with the time, certainly integrating with PayPal early on um, and, you know, a couple of other examples, which are, are just not springing to mind right now. Um, but, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that does happen very soon. You wanted to talk about NFTs, Barry. Well, the time has come. <laughs> yes, I do, Chad. Let's talk I about do. It. Come on. <laughs> Stuff I found interesting. It seems to be a recurring thing that's coming back and back, Chad, because I, I find it so fascinating. And this story is a bit bizarre, and I want to get your thoughts on it because it seems cool. a bit crazy to me, Chad. So as we chatted about in previous episodes, an NFT is what's called a non-fungible token. And the idea is that it kind of it, it tokenizes some physical assets so you can own it digitally on the blockchain even though you don't actually have the physical thing. So a yeah. lot of the buzz has been around artwork. So there was this ginormous artwork by an artist called Beeple, which sold for just under $70 million, Jeez. which was a crazy, crazy thing. And, and you can kind of put it as your, your phone screensaver, right? You can take a JPEG and you can copy it. But the whole idea is that by owning this NFT, you've got this digital asset as, as part of your ownership. So it's been a very fascinating discussion and a really weird one to think about. And this one's even weirder, Chad, I think, is that there was an artist called Krista Kim who has now sold the very first NFT digital house for over $500,000, right? So this is not a house that you can go into. You can't sleep in the bedrooms. You can't invite your friends over. This is purely digital. And what it is, is it's a 3D digital file that you can explore. Oh, sorry. What is that? <laughs> it's a My 3D apologies. digital file that can be explored in virtual reality. Um, yeah. And... That's that's all it is, and so Chad, I don't know what you think about this paying five hundred thousand rand for a virtual house. It sounds insane. Um, what I was doing is, is pulling up a little clip of it um, for the benefit of those watching this after afterwards. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting that kind of money for this intangible. I mean, from from what from what I see, Barry, um, you know, it's not. This is certainly not the best graphics I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and and you know, like you say, it's in this weird kind of fictional world. Um, it's it's kind of crazy that someone would be prepared to pay that kind of money for this arbitrary. I guess it's a piece of art, um, but it, it doesn't live in traditional mediums, does it? No, and that's what I've been trying to figure out. I've been trying to like read into this and try and understand what is the psychology here. Mm. And the best kind of explanation that I can come to is that this is a, just a new form of art. And if we were to, if we if we got to look at like traditional art today, a lot of it I don't understand anyway, right? Yeah. So I don't know about you, Chad, but if you go into some of these modern art galleries and you'll go and you see this ginormous canvas with one green circle and it's selling for eighteen million dollars, and you yeah. sit there and you're like. 
why the hell is this here? Like, why is this considered art? Um, and I think this is just an extension of that. I think this is the mm. digital format of that. So for those people who are in the space and are passionate about art and really are, really find this interesting and they want to kind of virtue signal their wealth or they want to show their wealth in some way, yeah. this is a great way to do it. And that's kind of the only reasonable explanation I can come up with that makes this make any sense whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, what you're paying for is you're paying for the, the ability to call this your own. That's, that's all it is, right? And so it's almost a status play in the same way that buying a fancy modern art piece that is just a a piece of red cloth or whatever. It's, it's exactly the same as buying this in the, in the digital space. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's kind of the only way I can kind of get my head around this. Yeah, it does make sense to me. I mean, Barry, when you go in, when you see that green blob on the on the canvas, you not think about the shade of green, uh, the, the space <laughs> around it, the kind of mood that that the artist was in, the the the, the, the scribbles and the, the the actual little brush strokes. I'm I'm talking absolute garbage, of course, because I know nothing <laughs> Chad, about Chad, that. I have, <laughs> I I've I've one rule. If 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 my nine month year old goddaughter can make it. Then, then I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> give it any credence. If my, if, if my, if a little, if a little toddler can make it, then unfortunately, there's no value for me. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, I, I, and I, and I agree with your your sentiment as well. I mean, in terms of in terms of buying this, I, I don't know, I don't know what what other value you get from it um, aside from being able to, like you say, have that that bragging rights, I guess, behind it. Um, I do wonder in in terms of these new mediums whether instead of having a canvas on the wall. Um, this particular owner has a dedicated console or PC or, or you know machine or whatever the case is uh, that specifically has this on repeat, uh, you know, playing back that anyone who who visits their home can go and check it out. I, I mean, I don't know. Do, do, you th- do you think that would be the case, or, or does this person spend uh, over five hundred thousand uh, dollars, collect a USB stick, and never look at it again? <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it's a good question, and I, I think that the way we're going to exhibit these things, like how are we going to brag about this? If this is going to come mm. something that we're going to brag about, how are you going to display it? Right? Is it going to be on your Instagram? Is it going to be in a, on a website? Is it going to be available in the physical world to kind of put some VR goggles on and experience it? I don't know. Like when I, when I looked at this, the first thing that I thought about was that this should be in a video game. Like that makes more mm, sense to me yeah. if you're getting an NFT for a house in a video game where your avatar is then living in or whether it's Minecraft or World of Warcraft or Grand Theft Auto, all of these multiplayer games, they already have these economic systems built in where yeah. you can buy the sword, you buy the shield, you buy the gun, whatever, using real money and then use that in the game. And so I can certainly see how NFTs are going to play a role in that space um, because you, it really is something that's a utility of some sort and you're using it even though it's a virtual world. Whereas this one, it kind of feels a little bit just like a random art piece. Um, it's obviously, it's kind of the first of its kind. And so maybe that's why it's got so much hype and that's why it's worth so much is because you can say you bought the first virtual house, which is a bit bizarre. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where it feels, NFTs feel really exciting to me, but at the same time, it feels like 99% of them are just junk. And you've almost got to kind of wade through the mess and wade through the noise and the smoke to get to the stuff that's really interesting. Um, and so I think that's why it's kind of turned some people off about the industry. And it's 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 the same with anything that's very, very new. Whenever the technology is brand, brand new, most people think it's silly. Most people think it's crazy. Um, and so I'm curious to see in five or 10 years what kind of discussions we're having, Chad, and whether this has kind of become a real thing or it's kind of faded away as a fad and lots of people lost money on it. We'll have to wait and see. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I I don't really know where where I stand on it. I, at this point, I I personally don't see the, the value. I mean, of course, there is there is of course value in in owning an underlying title. Um, you know, certainly depending on the purpose for for owning that title. Are you gonna ex, you know exhibit it out and, and earn some sort of money uh, you know on the back of that? Is it a form of art that you can collect royalties on? Or are you simply looking for, for others to appreciate as much as you do um, in such a way that it, it holds its value simply? Um, but again, as I said, I'm not, a, I'm not an art uh, collector or expert of any sorts. Uh, I don't think I've ever spent any real money on any kind of proper art pieces. Um, I'm more than happy to go, uh, go down to Ikea and, and buy some random bits and pieces, as you can, of course, see. <laughs> behind me uh, in the frame <laughs> but uh, it's interesting uh, i think similar to you know our general bitcoin ongoing discussion uh certainly that one in which you know because it's it, it, it proposes to replace currency uh the, the benefit is is a lot easier and still you see so many skeptics whereas here the benefit is is hard to understand um, but but yet you know the skeptics seem to be few and far between i don't know it, it's it's all a bit confusing <clears throat> Another interesting thing I came across was that when I was reading about this, they talked a lot about how in the in the expensive art game, so that the real collectors are spending millions and millions of dollars on these pieces, a lot of the art doesn't actually sit on walls. Like they right. will buy it and then put it in a storage unit and just leave it there for generations. And that's how they transfer kind of generational wealth. And that's kind of how they deal with things. So a lot of these famous art collectors don't even put the art up. And so in that sense, it's exactly the same because what True. they're doing is they're buying this thing as some sort of store of value. Yeah. They're betting on the fact that in the future, it's going to be worth more than it is worth now. And therefore, I can invest my money in it and let that investment grow and kind of hope to gain that at the end of the day. And yeah. so that's another way to look at it is like not even don't even think about the fact that it's a house, but just think about it as some sort of digital asset that this person yeah. is now betting yeah. is going to be worth more in the future. And that's an interesting like part of economics, interesting part of financial engineering is that money has gone away from this idea that it's paper and coins in our hands. It's very much just a number on a screen now. It's very much just a like a, a digital pixel, for, yeah. for example. Um, and so when you start thinking about it like that, all of this starts to have a whole different tint, a whole different kind of way of looking at it because maybe it's not about the house at all. Maybe it's just a way to transfer wealth over time rather than sticking it in a bank or sticking it in a, a fixed yep. deposit or whatever the story is. Yeah. Um, certainly a lot more riskier, that's for sure. But <laughs> if, if you believe in this, if you believe in this space and you've got the disposable income, then why not? Absolutely. Uh, fascinating space to watch. Uh, and we will certainly uh, be chatting a bit more about it in the future. The next thing uh, that, that you found interesting this week, apart from uh, that digital house, uh, is something that you, you, you know, annexed here with the comment, Chad, you in capital letters, have to watch this. <laughs> um, so, of course, I've got it up here. But before, before I play a little piece from it, uh, what was it that you, you loved so much about it? Um, because, I mean, of course, we, we see some wonderful things in uh in the, the, the stables of, of Red Bull. Yeah, so, so Red Bull just know what they're doing. They just know how to market. Like I think they're one of the, the smartest and most savvy marketing companies in the whole world, right? And so they always do these amazing, obviously their thing is all about adventure sports. And so they focus a lot on the extreme kind of sporting things. Yeah. And some of their videos are amazing. And this video shows a snow skier, snow, like skiing and kind of, I don't know what, paragliding through this little town. 
doing crazy stunts um, in, in a way that I, I find absolutely suicidal. Like I was just waiting for him to crash every single time. Cool. And it, it's one of those things where... Sorry. I mean, look at that. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> let, me, let me get the volume here uh, sorted out. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty insane, isn't it? And for me, Chad, the cinematography is just amazing as well. The way they made this video, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, for me as well, um, you know, just in terms of, uh, in terms of, like I said, the cinematography, I think, th I think that's what fascinated me about this is the, the, the number of drones that I can only imagine were, were going on the go uh, while this was being filmed. I mean, do you think that this was one coherent take? Or do you think they, they kind of wedged it together? So for, for those listening, um, you know, I know we, we have lots of visual aids today, uh, so apologies <laughs> for that. Um, but, but like Barry said, it, it, it's, it's this guy uh, with, you know, who's paragliding for all intents and purposes with um, you know, snow, snow skis, uh, going on the top of buildings, tapping his feet uh, on the bottom of things, um, you know, grinding on electrical pole, on, on you know, electrical <laughs> wires, uh, doing 360 spins, um, it, it's just quite crazy. It, it, it's quite crazy what, what, the, what the human body can accomplish as well. Just imagine what kind of life you have to live, Chad, to get to this level in this very niche thing, right? To become like the number one snow ski paraglider or whatever that means. <clears throat> imagine the kind of life you must live. That's why this guy must be so interesting. Um, and talking to your, your your takes question, I think it definitely was multiple takes. If you look at yeah. some of the behind the scenes, you can see them piecing okay. it together. Right. It would have been insane if that was all in one <laughs> run. It really would have been unbelievable. Imagine. Um, and but so I'll choose to believe that just for the sake of the the excitement, <laughs> for the sake of the the magic. Um, but I found I found the video really beautiful, mm. like beautifully shot. The cinematography was amazing. The way they did it was awesome. The sound design was incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. All in all, in my mind, in my mind, it's one of the best videos I've seen in the last year. Um, and so I just had to share it with you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it was very very well received. Uh, it only took me about. 10 seconds uh, from the very beginning to drop all thoughts of er anything else that I was <laughs> busy with and, and just kind of getting mesmerized, uh, pulled into the screen, uh, especially towards the middle of that clip. I mean, for, for the benefit of any, anyone um, watching here, it's it's called Valentin Deluc, um, and he's speed riding in from Avoriaz with love. I, I guess, is, is that where Red Bull is headquartered? I mean, there, there's certainly are quite a lot of graphics or you know it seems like it's their their office block or something i mean i have no idea uh, but i'm sure you can google it uh, if you're listening to this afterwards um just to to go and have a look highly highly recommend and i think we'll we'll drop a link down as well um for, for anyone listening afterwards too um really incredible really incredible um some of the other kind of less incredible stuff i found interesting <laughs> this past week barry um but but stuff i found interesting nevertheless um, it includes Facebook Marketplace. We've we've been talking about Facebook and the place that it has in this world. Um, and of course, I mentioned the value that I get from the groups feature. Um, but I think I've been neglecting Marketplace. I, I don't know specifically how, you know, to the extent to which uh, it, it features in South Africa. But certainly in the UK, it's a highly effective way to get rid of, uh, you know, pre-loved, pre-owned stuff. Uh, and so because of the fact that we are, you know, like I said, moving uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, what what better way to, to, to shed off some of that load, some of that unwanted stuff than listing stuff onto uh, Facebook Marketplace. And it's just insane how quickly 
you get responses and how quickly you can get rid of your stuff. Uh, you know, beginning of one week, you've got this whole house of stuff that you don't need. Uh, and, you know, a couple of days later, it looks a whole lot leaner uh, and your, your move looks a lot easier and cleaner. Chad, I have to throw you under the bus here because we chatted about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how, yes. how Facebook Marketplace is going so well here. Um, and, and my mother at the moment is busy trying to get rid of some stuff from their house. And she's found amazing success in, 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 in selling it. So I think it is a global phenomenon. And I mm. think it, it's, it, it shows you what happens when you have true scale, right? Everybody's on Facebook. It, like, yeah. The whole world's on Facebook. We just have to accept that, right? And so when you put your things on, on onto Facebook Marketplace and you've used the right keywords, you are being able to target basically anyone around you. The whole city yeah. around you, you can target. And the way they built the functionality is that it's very sleek, it's very slick. And like you say, you post it and within 20 minutes, you've got eight <laughs> people looking for it. And you're like, oh yeah. my word, what is going on? Um, and so it's been a really amazing experience for, for us, this side, like learning about it and kind of getting into it and selling some things on it. And we've been amazed by the random stuff that people want, Chad. Yeah. I remember looking at some stuff my mom was trying to sell and I'm like, no one's going to buy this. Why are you putting this online? And then again, one day later, Chad, she's got the money in her hand <laughs> yeah. and she's off to the races. Um, and so it's it's incredible the kind of stuff that, that, that people want. And it's a reminder for anyone trying to go minimalistic in some way is that your junk can be someone else's treasure. Exactly. And so think about it in that way. Like if, if there's something in your house that, that's not getting any use, it's not being, it's just wasting space and wasting mental bandwidth, give it to, or sell it to somebody who's going to get more value out of it. And that's the best way to do it. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, Chad. How's it gone for your side? Uh, I know you, you're moving soon, so I'm sure there's lots of activity there. Yeah, you're so right for, for throwing me under the bus. Uh, it's all coming back <laughs> to me now, Barry. It's all coming back to me. You're, you're completely right. We did speak about it. Um, I mean, the, the other thing that I love, and I, and I think, um, you know, you, I'm certainly keen to hear your thoughts on, is because it's Facebook and because we've, you know, become used to profiling people, if you'd like. So look, having a look at a profile and, and assessing straight off the bat whether this is a legitimate person or not. You know, we look at the, the, the number of friends, we, we page through the profile pictures, look at the comments. Um, I mean, of course, there are experts out there who are, are, are built to deceive. But I think it is possible to fairly quickly assess, uh, you know, using Facebook. And, and I think that's why it's also a uh, a great app to, to do this uh, rather than using something like Gumtree or, or Junk Mail in South Africa because you, you can do that, you know, slightly low risk, uh, quick assessment of whether you think this person is actually legit or not, uh, whether they're going to waste your time or, or actually come through and, uh, you know, in good faith, buy what it is you're selling. That's for sure. It's a really important point, especially here in South Africa, where of course, like mm. safety is a real concern. And it's it's a bit worrying to kind of invite a stranger to your house to come and pick up something because you don't know who they're going to be. And that's certainly the case with Gumtree and all of these kind of classified ads. Um, you honestly don't know who's coming. You don't when you're going to meet someone, you don't know what's the story is, you don't know if they're going to bring the right amount of money or any of that yep. stuff. Whereas Facebook gives you that that little bit of credibility. Obviously, there's still going to be crooks. There's still going to be people taking taking for a sure. chance. But for the most part, you can get a little bit of a sense of the credibility. And if you if your gut doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel like a good uh, situation when you're talking to someone, you can just say, "Sorry, I'm going to go with somebody else." Um, and so that's the magic of the internet is when it can kind of pull some social proof and pull a little bit of credibility together on your profile and give you that peace of mind to know that if you're meeting up with this person to sell them your whatever you're selling them, that it's going to be a, a decent exchange and a, yeah. and a, a reasonable transaction. That's for sure. 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, so so important for both parties to to have that kind of peace of mind going in. Um, you know, make makes or breaks the, these kind of platforms, really. Um, one of the other things I found interesting this week uh, is a project that Kate Middleton has spearheaded last year. Um, so, so this is not something new uh, entirely. Um, it's something that was spearheaded last year. And, and this was basically to gather images from the public uh, of their first lockdown here in, in the UK. I, I thought to talk about it, of course, because uh, we were speaking about the royal family a couple of weeks ago not in such a good light. Um, I think it's also fair to <laughs> to kind of balance it out and look at the other side too. Um, so so this is basically a, an initiative called Hold Still um, in, you know, in uh, collaboration with the National Portrait Gallery. Uh, Kate Middleton is, you know, works quite closely with the gallery. I remember the last time I was actually able to go there, uh, seeing, seeing some of some of that curation and, and work, which is which is always really nice to see. And and that's one of the great things about London, Barry. I'm, I'm sure you agree, uh, is being able to for free walk into galleries and uh, museums and and all of that kind of stuff and get so much value from from art ultimately. Um, but but this this initiative is one where thirty thousand images, thirty one thousand images, shall I say were submitted uh, from the public. And from that number of images, 100 portraits were picked. Uh, 100 pic- portraits uh, along with, with the stories behind the picture. Um, and, uh, and essentially, you know, some of those were released on, on billboards and, and posters all around the city. So it was kind of like a, a community exhibition, if you'd like, uh, where, you know, people are not allowed to actually go into galleries because of COVID and restrictions. Um, you know, kind of bringing the art to the people um, and, and kind of just giving people, I suppose, a, a sense of comfort in what it is that everyone's had to go through that, you know, there's all of this countless stories uh, out there and, and some really heartwarming messages to to read and uh, yeah, find comfort in, in, in reading some of those stories and, and, and going through it. So of course, that was a great initiative. Uh, but this past week, we saw this, uh, this, Instagram posts come through from Kensington Palace and, and we, we, we know of course how um, you know how rare it is to cite the royals in their non-working uh, habitat um, and what, what do we see Barry we see Kate Middleton holding a Fujifilm I think it's an <laughs> X-T3 and that's probably my favorite thing about this picture is that Kate's definitely a Fujifilm your favorite user <laughs> It's definitely your favorite thing, Chad. Oh, goodness me. No wonder you love the story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, basically this whole initiative and, uh, and yeah, essentially all of these 100 portraits are being turned into a book, um, which is available for, for pre-order. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get the dates ready. But as part of this caption, uh, you know, Kate attached uh, this, this comment. Through Hold Still, I wanted to use the power of photography to create a lasting record of what we were all experiencing to capture individual stories and document significant memories for families and communities as we lived through the pandemic, which I think is uh, is an important thing to do, Barry. It, it really is. And I, I think what I love about this, this idea and this kind of uh, movement is that it's the stories of ordinary people. Hmm. It's not your kind of famous celebrities who are always in the news. It's, it's trying to capture the, the anecdotes and the stories of your ordinary people who have their own lives going on, their own struggles, their own triumphs. It reminds me a little bit of, of a, a project in New York called Humans in New York 
which okay. did a similar thing. There was, a, there was a photographer there who used to go every single day and take a portrait of someone he found in New York, some random stranger, right. and then post it on, their, on his Facebook and he'd write a little caption talking about that person's story. And that got incredibly huge. It became this phenomenon in New York because people started to learn about all these different people, different backgrounds, different kind of ways of thinking and whatnot. And this kind of feels very similar to that. Yeah, taking the power of photography, taking like this the snapshot of a real life person, giving a little bit of context as to who they are and what makes them special, and there's something about humanity we can relate to these stories. We can kind of see ourselves in these stories, and uh, as kind of a, a souvenir almost, or some sort of time capsule from this COVID world that hopefully we'll look back on in years time and talk exactly. about how we got through it. Right. Exactly. I mean, while you're talking there, um, I'm I'm kind of just piecing through some of these some of these portraits. They they are all out on uh, the the natural National Portrait uh, Gallery's website, so you can see all of the hundred uh, portraits. But like you say, it's about it's about that time capsule, right? It's about having a tangible item. Um, the idea of of print being dead. Uh, is one that that you've defended vehemently uh, every single time we've we've mentioned it, and and I, I get it, I, I I get the reason why, and I think I think this is is exactly that, Barry. Just like you said, it's it's having that time capsule uh, that you can look back on um, to you know this crazy crazy time that we've we've all had to live through. It's one of the things that I think. When we look when we look back without these photos, it's going to be a blur, right? If you don't have these moments captured, like in 10 years' time, when we think back to these lockdowns, we think back to what we had to do to get through them and all the anxiety and all the chaos, we're not going to remember all these things because our, our minds are very good at putting these memories away and kind of because they're not so lacquer. We, we like to push them under the rug and forget about yep. them, right? And so these, 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 these moments that are captured are so important. And it's one of the reasons that I've been trying to journal during this pandemic yep. to try and give myself some sort of future. When, when I look back in the future, I want to have something to look back on, right? Um, and it's one of those things where it's there's so much value in remembering these moments because it's what makes us who we are. Yep. And I think that's what a book like this really does really well. Absolutely, completely agree. Uh, I wish I wish I had been journaling a bit more myself. Uh, to be honest, uh, I have a couple of rec- of entries, but but definitely not as many as there should be. So just to correct on my my earlier statement, uh, the pre order uh, you, you can now pre order it, um, but it will it will be released on the seventh of May, um, with uh, well with orders dispatched from from mid May. Um, so I guess I guess they're also having a, a look at at numbers and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, you can pre-order that. Uh, that is on uh, the National Portrait Gallery's shop uh, as well, online store. So uh, yeah, I I definitely thought that was uh, something worth having a quick chat about, Barry. Shall we move on? Let's look ahead. Looking ahead. And just before we look ahead, Barry, I just want to give a bit of. Um, Oh, I made myself small there. I just want to give a bit of uh, <laughs> translation uh, for for our non-South African listeners uh, when you said it's, it's something's not so lacquer. Uh, what what are we really saying there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the million-dollar question, Chad. What does lacquer mean? Lac- lacquer means good or nice yeah. or awesome or whatever you want it to mean. It's one of my favorite <laughs> South African words, and uh, I'm sorry for using. It. I didn't realize it. It's just part of my lexicon. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 when something is lacquer, it means it's magnifique. magnifique. <laughs> well, what else is lacquer this week? We, we, we've got some very interesting uh, electric vehicle type news uh, coming on South Africa's shores. 
Indeed. So, of course, the, the main man himself, Mr. Elon Musk, is South African. So we kind of claim him a little bit. We kind of say it's a little bit of ours. We can take a little bit of credit here in South Africa. Um, and, of course, he kind of has changed the, the world of electric cars through his company, Tesla, and kind of has changed the, the landscape. And we've now seen companies all around the world invest billions and millions of dollars into transitioning from fuel-powered cars into electric cars. Yeah. What's been quite exciting this week is that I found out about a local company here in South Africa, Chad, based out of uh, who's called Mazibuko Motors. Cool. And what they've done, Chad, is they've created a, an electric bucky, which is Amazing. for a pickup van for anyone who's not in South Africa, a little, a little bucky, um, electric bucky. And it looks pretty cool, Chad. I don't know if you can put up that photo, but to me, yeah. that looks like a pretty sick bucky. I don't know about you. It looks really cool. Um, sh- straight off the bat, uh, just looking at the, the, the LEDs at the, at the back, it kind of has like a, a, a VW-esque, kind of feel mm. to me i mean you know in south africa vw's is definitely a a much loved brand so i wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that was part of the inspiration especially looking at, at the side as well and looking at that that little dip right underneath uh, the handlebars it's kind of got that you know that vw polo kind of vibe to it. Uh, is it is it just me or, or or do you see the same sort of inspiration coming through there yeah, I think so. I, I certainly see that. And I think it's, it is a very iconic kind of shape. They certainly haven't gone the Cybertruck route, Chad. They certainly yeah. haven't gone out of the box <laughs> with something completely bizarre. Yeah. So it looks very much like the Buckies of today. Um, and of course, it's a little bit more futuristic, a little more sci-fi. And some of the specs are quite interesting. They, 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 they claim it's going to have 500 kilowatts of power. It's going to have 120 kilowatts per hour battery, a range of 400 kilometers, which is quite good. Okay. And then goes north to 100 kilometers per hour in less than five seconds. So nothing to write home about. It's certainly not the Tesla specs by any stretch of the imagination. But the fact that it's coming out of South Africa is very, very exciting. But Chad, I was a little bit, I was a little bit caught off guard though because the headline of the article, as as these things <laughs> tend to do, said that they launched it, and so okay. I was like, oh, awesome, okay, I want to go and see what's what's all about. But that's actually misleading, and of course, it's clickbait to get you to click of on course. the article. Of course, as as far as I understand, it is still in the the concept phase and it's still like waiting to launch. So they've got a lot of investment so far, and there's a lot of big names behind them. So I don't think it's complete smoke and mirrors, but it's not here yet. And so it's one of those things we have to keep a lookout for as things go forward as they continue to raise investments and, and hopefully bring it to market I, i've got no idea when though <laughs> it's very interesting especially when we when you talk about south africa which uh is you know currently in terms of electric vehicles and the infrastructure for them um you know i i see it as being a challenging uh area we don't even have power church. well this is this is where i was going with it barry especially <laughs> when it comes to to charging these things i think one of the one of the the, the wonderful kind of reliefs of uh you know the the current vehicles of, of play is that you can go to a petrol station and fill it up and still be able to get home now imagine just imagine barry uh, having having a stage two load shedding or whatever the case is being stuck at work and not necessarily only being able to not work because you know your <laughs> your computers are off and you don't have backup generators etc cetera, etc cetera, but the whole staff force uh, who have got their cars parked in office blocks <laughs> unable to leave 
Yeah, it, it certainly feels like there's there's some things we should be prioritizing before we get to electric buckets. Yeah. Maybe we should try and make sure that we do have electricity 24-7 before we start looking at these things. Um, so that certainly is a consideration. And a lot of the memes have been around that. Like what happened when okay. ESCOM kind of cuts your car off and you can't get home. So it's very, very interesting in that sense. I, for one, am just excited to see this sort of risk being taken. South Africa is very much a risk-averse type entrepreneurial mm. landscape. We often are just copying the best of the best from around the world. It's very rare that you see a company like this actually taking on a very, very ambitious thing. Like if they're going to make this work, Chad, it's going to be a tremendous struggle. It's going to be a, like a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, mm. But for me, as someone who believes in entrepreneurship and wants to see us do these sorts of things, I, I applaud anyone for even trying to do this. It really is inspiring. Of course, of course. And all of these kind of homegrown stories are incredibly inspiring. They, they strike a chord, don't they? Um, but but you, 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 you have to beg the question. I, I, even in the UK, um, there's, there's currently concerns about the grid uh, being able to handle it. So uh, the grid can handle it as things are right now in the UK. But there needs to be careful consideration of when that power is pulled. Because if you take a peak period of time when everyone's you know, arrived home from the long day of work and everyone's turned on their, their heating and, and all the rest of it. And is, you know, that's when the, the, the peak demand is on the, is on the grid. If everyone plugs their cars in too, there is potentially going to be a problem. Um, so, you know, this is where we start to talk about uh, smart, smart charging, uh, where, you know, where, where adapters are able to, to manage the supply of the grid. Um, so, so yeah, I, I certainly think it's a, a very, interesting topic uh in the context of south africa uh and then beyond that also looking at well in terms of charging stations uh if you are en route because of course you know south africa is a massive country so it's 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 you know it's not we're not talking about the short little commutes uh in the same way that you would uh, over here over here in the uk we 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 be talking about potentially some very big commutes especially when you're talking about buckies um going going to and from sites developments uh, you know, if you, if you look at the type of person who, who drives a bucky or a pickup truck, uh, for those of for those of you who are not aware of the term, uh, it typically is those people who are, who are getting their hands dirty, and uh, and some of that requires a lot of travel. Yeah, look, I don't think they're going to sell a million of these things in their first year. That's for sure. It's going to be a very, very slow kind of uptake, if at all. And like you say, the infrastructure needs to come as part and parcel. One of the reasons Tesla have done so well is that they've built these ginormous supercharging networks across the US yeah. that make this thing possible, right? Exactly. So that was part and, part and parcel of their strategy from the beginning is that they wanted to make sure that no matter where you were in the US, you could get to a supercharger relatively easily and use it as simply as you could uh, plugging into a, a gas-powered uh, petrol station. So I think the infrastructure is an important part of this, and I've got no idea how advanced they are or what they're thinking about in that respect. Yeah. Um, it feels to me very much like a prototype and just kind of to, to prove that we can do this sort of innovation here in South Africa. Electric cars is going to become a ginormous industry. I mean, it already is, and it keeps growing year after year after year. And uh, I, I, do, I do think in my my grandchildren's time, it's all going to be electric cars, right? That's kind of my feeling. And so yeah. it feels like a good industry to be involved in. And if, if South Africa can play a part in that, we can do really well for ourselves. This is one of those examples where I wish we'd, we'd take some more initiative as a country to say, okay, cool, we, we missed this technological boom. But let's see if we can leapfrog and let's try yeah. and invest in the technology to come in the future and try and make ourselves a player in some respects when yeah. it comes to batteries, when it comes to AI, when it comes to any of this tech that is a couple years away. I would love to see more South African, more South African companies and the government
moment, to be, to be honest, investing in those futuristic technologies so that when we get to that point in time, we're in a position to actually c- contribute value to the world. Definitely. I mean, you, you touched on batteries. That uh, That is the most important thing, I think, uh, when we're talking about electric cars, because that is the, the biggest barrier in terms of price, uh, is, is getting that cost of batteries to come down. And if we look at the last couple of years, it has come down significantly. And, and this is why, uh, you know, certainly in the Western world, people are starting to, talk, to take uh, electric cars seriously, is, is not just because of the, the climate benefits, but because the, the, the price at the moment is getting to a point where it's worth looking at as an option. And as that battery price continues to, to go down, uh, you might get to a stage where, well, electric, electric cars are cheaper to buy uh, than, you know, combustible engine uh, vehicles. And so, like you say, in, in being able to take that proactive approach and getting involved in the tech and the development now when you can, uh, why the heck not? Uh, just in terms, of the, in terms of the actual energy crisis, I think there is a viable solution uh, which the government just hasn't seemed to be to be looking at, and 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 that is uh, looking at how a lot of other nations ha- have dealt with energy uh, and potentially getting some private players involved in the game. It's one of the biggest frustrations here in South Africa, and it's been a discussion that's been fought for probably ten or twelve years mm-hmm. at this point. Um, the government has kept kept their hands completely on all the electricity production. If you're a private company in South Africa, you I don't even know if it's legal to produce electricity. You certainly can't feed it back into the grid, um, and so there's a lot of a lot of red tape in that respect because they're protecting the state-owned enterprise that is ESCOM. Um, it's a very very controversial figure because ESCOM has had been mired in controversy. They have lots of corruption. They have lots of problems. They've kind of they, they've been kind of the laughing stock of South Africa for so long. Um, and like you say, like if we are going to compete, if we are going to actually innovate at the cutting edge of technology, we can't have the government getting in the way. We have to let talented entrepreneurs at these problems and let them see what they can come up with. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that we have the talent here in South Africa to really compete at the, at the highest level. We really do. It's not, it's not the people that we lack. It's the support structures. It's the, 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 the subsidies. It's all of the, the, the red tape and bureaucracy around a, yeah. starting a company in South Africa that makes it difficult. And that is the only way we're going to get this right. If we can let a private company like Mazibuko Motors, let them go and do some interesting stuff, like give them some leeway to go and innovate and let's see what they can come up with. I think it's a much better way and it's going to really improve the overall economy over the longer term rather than just kind of trying to hold on to ESCOM because you're scared to mm. give it away and you don't want that that power and that kind of that job created to disappear. Um, it's something we've seen with, with the banks. It's something we've seen with a lot of the SOEs here in the country. And yeah, until we fix that, Chad, I don't think we're going to see much innovation because just, there's just too many things in the way, right? Hundred uh, percent. Could not have said that better myself. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of the, the optimism and in the prospects. Uh, it's just a matter of getting everyone to be on the same page to to, to become goal congruent, right? Um, that that's ultimately uh, the goal here. So yeah, hopefully that happens sometime soon. But uh, thanks for bringing that up, Barry. I don't think you anticipated we'd be speaking so long about Mazibuka <laughs> Motors, um, but I think it's important. Uh, you know, it certainly is a, a space that, that we're going to be seeing a lot more action in uh, in the time to come. Let's then move on to our next segment. Develop and grow. So the first item on my list, I'm sure you're going to be very pleased to talk about, Barry, and that is uh, talking about team sport. It's something that I've I've not really been getting involved in much uh, post school, post kind of high school. Um, you know, obviously there there is the option of getting involved in club sports. 
um, but it just isn't something that I've I've done much of. And so when it comes to sport, you'd, you'd find me in the gym, you'd find me running, cycling, swimming, doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, not really getting involved in sport. And there's something wonderful about sport. I, I think there's there's something so great about all of the values that you can pick up from on the field uh, that really spill over into every single other field of your life. You've got this uh, this wonderful, you know, collaboration, uh, you know, this, this, this kind of being able to, to, being able to have your place in a bigger team and understand where you fit in. Um, you know, th- there's just so many wonderful values that you can pull from, from sport. Uh, and luckily, because of this easing uh, that we've seen, so on the 29th of March, we were now allowed to, from the 29th of March, uh, allowed to act, actively participate back in, in team sports again, meet people outdoors again, uh, that rule of six. Uh, and so I, I'm getting involved. I'm getting involved in tag rugby, Barry. So it's it's similar to touch rugby, kind of, um, but you play with a, a tag, well, two tags uh, that are basically strapped with Velcro on either end of your of your rugby shorts um, and ultimately you know for for a, a place to for a play to cease someone needs to pull a tag um, and you know it was just a surreal feeling being back on being back on the, the field um, because it has been so long uh, with with a bunch of strangers uh, in, in all honesty and just just enjoying some light-hearted sports I'm so chuffed for you, Chad. I, I'm so, so excited. And um, of course, you know that this is something that I'm super passionate about. Yeah. It's it's something I believe in to the hilt. Um, I, I, I've kept playing team sport right from school. So I, I haven't missed a year. I've been playing cricket and hockey all those years. And I intend to play team sports until I die. Like that's basically how, how, how seriously I take this. And it's because of some of the reasons you mentioned is that sport teaches us so much more than just the actual physical nature of it. Of course, it's fun. It's fun to play with friends. It's yeah. interesting. It keeps you fit. It keeps you strong. So all those things are on are no brainers, and that's obvious. But the less obvious ones are the act of learning how to fail, the act of learning yeah. resilience, the act of 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 determination and 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 teamwork, and all of these these pieces of philosophy that we learn. And it's one of the reasons that when when I parent one day, it's very important to me that there's some form of sport in my kids' lives because there's so much that I've learned from it. There's so much that we all learn from those kind of environments. And I think when we leave school or we leave university, there's a tendency to lose out on that because life gets busy and things get hectic. And it's hard to commit to a team sport when you're still working full-time and whatnot. It's much easier to kind of gym when you can and do your more individual things. But I know for myself is that when I'm not playing team sports, I am miserable. <laughs> it's one of those things that keeps me sane. It keeps me happy. It keeps me grounded. Um, and it really helps me to get let loose of all the stress and all the chaos of my, of my day-to-day life. Because you can kind of go in there and see friends, play play around, like enjoy yourself, get some get some sweats. And uh, it really is really powerful. So I'm glad you got in, getting into it, Chad. I'm excited for you, man. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's it's certainly early days, uh, but I'm I'm really excited for it to become a weekly, uh, you know, part of my routine, really. Um, and 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 like you say, it, it's it's being able to uh, accept <laughs> accept those losses. And when you when you were so close to scoring a try, and you know, you just didn't get past <laughs> the line. And when your team, you know, we're, we're, we're 
really able to do it, but but you didn't. It's, it's how do you how do you come back from that? What, what are you going to do next week? Um, and at the same time, it, it's keeping your composure and still being a decent human being, right? Not throwing a tantrum uh, and uh, and you know throwing your toys out the cot like uh, good old Donald Trump. Um, you know, who <laughs> potentially could have done with uh, some team sport rather than golf, uh, which which he's he's clearly a fan Ima- of. Imagine Donald Trump on your tag rugby team, Chad. That would be quite a sight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether we're pulling the tag or, or pulling the hair as it as it flops about <laughs> um, on the field, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly certainly enjoyed the first week back, and like I said, it just kind of feels surreal to to be able to meet people again. It, it's something I'm I'm so thankful for um, now that now that we've gone through this period where we've been stripped of all rights to do that. Um, so yeah, I de- I definitely think if you have the option. Um, you know, you don't have to do tag rugby, but but certainly have a look at what team sports are out and about and available in your area. Uh, because, you know, aside from also just the community aspect of, of just getting to know people in your age group, um, which is important. I mean, these days, you know, relationships, moving to different countries, it, it, it's hard to, to keep these kind of long distance things going. Uh, and living in a city like London, uh, where it's so easy to to become lost and you know, a lot of people really, really struggle with with depression in the city. It's a hard city. I, I kind of, I, I get it. Um, but, but this is a wonderful opportunity to meet new people and and make some great connections. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll certainly be staying for for a while to come, Barry. Definitely. I, I think it's a great point as well that it doesn't. You don't have to be sporty in order to enjoy yeah, this stuff, right? Exactly. Find a hiking group. Find a photography group. Find some sort mm. of community-based activity um, that 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 interests you, and, and use that as your as your outlet. I think one of the reasons, one of the things that social media has tricked us into thinking is that we think we're more connected because we're on our phone yeah. all the time. We're replying to messages. We're on Instagram. We think we're connecting with people. We actually aren't. We, we're deluding yeah. ourselves. And so when you're able to get into the physical realm post-COVID and whatnot and actually get, get together with people, um, you, you realize that that's what humanity needs. We need that social interaction. We need that connection. So yeah, it doesn't have to be sports. It can be anything you like, but just find some sort of community that meets in person on a regular basis in those relationships because it's so good for your mental health and it'll mm. change your life it absolutely will it absolutely will thanks barry um you know certainly appreciate all of your uh you know really really hard perspectives on this um because you've, you've got so many uh you know good experiences over the years uh in in regulating all of those good things that we've just discussed uh one, one of the other things i wanted to talk this week about in develop and grow and you can see i've i've added a few things on the list yet because i've been feeling guilty of how little uh, we've been talking about <laughs> self-development as a self-development podcast um it's something that i've been trying this week and it's been highly effective if you have been working from home and you have been finding by the end of the day you haven't achieved as much as you would have liked to achieve, I'm going to suggest something to you. Put your phone in a different room or, or put it in a drawer and be disciplined with it. Like actually put it away and don't look at it for blocks of time. I'm not saying don't look at it for the whole day. You know, I'm, I'm, not, saying, I'm not saying that at all. But just to try and get away from this, this, this nervous twitch, this, this habitual tap on the screen, um, you know, constantly scrolling on Instagram. It's, it's something that I've certainly become a, a victim to. Um, and 
this week was me kind of fighting back against it, trying to regain some of uh, some of my deep focus again because you know I did I did struggle to get hours of continuous focus, and that's because of the notifications, because of this uh, you know impulse to reach out for the phone. So just I habitually lunge for it and, and constantly do nothing on it. Um, and it's been really effective, Barry. Is it something that you've ever tried? I know you say you you turn your phone upside down. Um, and so, you know, in terms of not being able to see the notifications come through, and I, I can understand how that's effective. But in terms of the vibrations, uh, that's surely still an issue, no? I mean, it's, it certainly is. And on my best days, then I, I do quite well. And I, I normally turn on airplane mode. That's kind of my equivalent right. um, of doing it. And I think it's a great, great thing to do. I've been really bad in the last couple of months throughout lockdown. And so when mm-hmm. I see this on the list, I'm like, oh, I need to get my act together. So thank you for the reminder. I appreciate awesome. it. It's one of those things that that really is powerful. And I, I, I certainly know when I do in December, when I put my phone away for the month of December, mm-hmm. or not the, not the phone away per se, but social media specifically, yeah. um, it really is a, a really interesting experience to go through. And so I think it's it's a great thing to do, Chad. And it's something that I certainly want to take on board and maybe try in the next week or so. Um, just because... <sighs> What I've been thinking about recently, it was just kind of tangential, but it is connected in some way, is is this expectation to respond to messages within a certain yeah. time. I don't know about you, Chair, but I, I almost feel a little bit of guilt when I get a WhatsApp or I get an email or a message from somebody. I have this, this feeling that they're expecting a response within a certain period of time. Mm. And obviously, depending on how close a friend or what kind of context that changes the expectation. But I've been thinking a lot about trying to make myself less available yeah. and trying to make myself like, Try and set the precedent that if you're going to message me and it's not urgent, I'm going to get back to you, but only when it's when it fits into what I'm trying to accomplish that day. Sure. Rather than trying to like come up and, and, and every single time you get a message, trying to respond pretty quickly because you end up in mired in these 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 nonsense conversations. Um, and so I don't know what you think about that, Chad, but but it kind of talks to this idea of being less available on your phone and actually focusing on the thing in front of you. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be much more productive and much happier if you just try and do one thing at a time rather than trying to hold four different WhatsApp conversations, two Skype calls, one Slack message, three emails, and do the piece of work in front of you. It just doesn't happen like that. I agree. Uh, And I I, I, I get the guilt factor of it, Um, but I think it is important. I think once you've set those boundaries, it's important, just like any other area of your life, um, you need to set the boundaries. You need to limit the amount of space that things can fill. Otherwise, things will just fill the space, uh, you know, w- without the boundaries being there. So you you have to you have to put them in place. Uh, and in that process, um, you know, some people might be a bit offended. Uh, and you know, I, I guess it's it's similar to a lot of things in life where ultimately. Who cares? Because, you know, you need to make that choice for yourself. And if someone can't wait for the, you know, wait for your response when you actually have time to, you know, put some time and effort into your response, then, uh, you know, ultimately that that conversation is maybe not so worth happening. Of course, there are time sensitive things, uh, you know, depending on the context of the message, you might be talking about something that's happening right now, in which case, fair enough, maybe it, it deserves your attention. Uh, but other than that, I, I think it's okay to set that precedent, and and it reminds me of uh, the the Cole Newport uh, digital minimalism, in which he he spoke about uh, a guy who had set basically this precedent where every single day, if you call him between I think it was five and six p.m., 
he'll answer your call and he'll talk. You, you can call him any day between 5 and 6 p.m. and you can talk to him. Um, and, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. You kind of set your boundary. Aside from that, he's at work. He is engaged in what it is that he's doing. Um, but, you know, when he steps away from that, when he's in that 5 to 6 p.m., he can have all of these conversations uh, with, with friends or, or anyone else who, who wants his attention. So that's kind of how I think of it, Barry. I think it's a great way to think about it. And it kind of brings a quote back to mind as well, similar to that. It's saying that if you don't write the script of your life, someone else is going to write it for you. Yeah. So you get to choose, right? You either choose to control your time and treat it with the respect that it deserves. Like it's amazing how disrespectful we are to our own time. If you think about mm. it, like yeah. it's amazing the fact that we have finite time that, that we have only one life to live and, and we are so disrespectful to our own time. We will throw it away. Like it's nothing. We will waste it with absolute ab abandon. And yeah. it's, it's something that is, is one of the emblematic problems of the 21st century and of our modern world is that people are living most of their life distracted. They're living most of their life on autopilot. There's very, very limited moments of clarity and limited moments mm. of actual intentionality. Yeah. And so even in my own life, I've read all the books. I've watched all the documentaries. I talk about it on the podcast week after week after week, but I still find myself down these rabbit holes. I still find myself attached to my smartphone at all times. Yeah. And it's a little bit frustrating because it's like, I know all of this stuff, Chad. So why can't I put it into practice? Why can't I actually turn it into something in my real life? And that just shows how addictive these things are, yep. how pernicious it is in our society. Yep. And that it's a journey that you're on continuously. You never get to a point where, okay, I'm now a digital minimalist and everything now is easy. <laughs> it's like, it's something you have to fight with every single day. Um, and so I'm, I appreciate you bringing this up as, as a reminder, Chad, to put that phone in that drawer for periods of time because it'll make your work so much better mm -hmm. and it'll cut down your work. Instead of having to work 10 hours a day, you'll work eight hours a day because you're working yeah. focused and concentrated in that time so that when the end of the workday comes, you can guilt-free relax and see friends and be with your partner and that sort of thing. It's so important. Absolutely. And uh, you're right. It's an ongoing battle, an ongoing struggle. And, uh, you know, we, we, we can't let it win. We can't let it win. Uh, but you, you do move me on very nicely, Barry, to my next point, um, which, uh, yeah, basically is talking about, like you say, not having those moments of quiet and clarity. And uh, this this is basically a little picture that I saw on Instagram while I was in that same very rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get a nugget of value, Barry, but the majority of the time you don't. But this was one of those occasions. So I'm going to share that value with you uh, because I kind of had to mine for it, if you like, mine for this little <laughs> nugget. Um, and that is somebody who, who put up a story saying, I find myself worrying most that when we hand our children phones, we steal their boredom from them. As a result, we are raising a generation of writers who will never start writing. Artists who will never start doodling. Chefs who will never make a mess of their kitchen. Athletes who will never kick a ball against a wall. Musicians who will never pick up their aunt's guitar and start strumming. Glennon Doyle untamed. Um, so, yeah, it's this idea of... of you know, when you when you keep when you keep this tap on and open, when you constantly have information flowing at you, whether it's visual information, audio information, whatever the whatever the case is, you don't have these moments of of rest, these moments of of creativity ultimately, and and it requires that uh, 
you know, those moments of quiet and uh, sometimes introspection or, or, or whatever the case is to come up with, with all of these, uh, you know, great things. And I do, I do share that worry for the, for this next generation. It's such an important point, and it, it's it's something that we do so badly because we now have so much information at our fingertips. We have everyone you could ever think of at your fingertips. You can find out what they think this exact moment, and that and that is that is something that we've kind of really enjoyed in that sense because mm-hmm. it's opened up the whole world to us, regardless of where you are or what your background is. But in the same way that we we think about our food diets in today's world, where we try and limit our our calories and try and keep ourselves relatively slim where we can. I think that in the future, and certainly now, we're going to start think have to start thinking about our information diet. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we consuming when it comes to information? Like, are, are they high quality sources? Are they fulfilling us? Are they positive sources? Are they are they inspiring things, or are they just the latest tabloid? Are they the news? Are they some sort of negative aspect of humanity? And not just the quality, but the quantity of stuff we're taking in. It's something that I've been very bad at. Is that I know that. If, if I look back at a month and I haven't written anything on my own, I haven't written a blog post, I haven't published anything, what I know I've done is just ingested 3,000 other people's yeah. ideas, right? Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not actually thinking for myself. And if I want to be a writer, if I want to call myself a writer, I need to give myself the time and space to have ideas and to think and to kind of do that without being influenced by other people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something that is really, really difficult thing to get right but it's so important this ability to actually just say i don't care about the fomo i'm going to put the phone away for a bit and i'm just going to sit and think about something that interests me or i'm going to sit i'm going to wander through a park or i'm going to sit and i'm going to kick a ball against the wall um it's such a such an important thing we get we don't do anymore because every single moment of the day even when we're sitting on the toilet, we're pulling out our phone 100%. to scroll yeah. through something, right? 100%. Even that 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 one moment of peace that we used to call that when you sit on that toilet, you've got those <laughs> few minutes to yourself, that's also disappeared now because we are scrolling through Twitter. It's crazy. It is crazy. And, uh, you know, in those moments of, of quiet and, and clarity and where you say a moment to think and, and write and all that kind of stuff, Barry, those moments aren't always easy. You don't just sit down and an idea flies and plunks its way into your head there's a lot of frustration uh walls you know creative blocks all of that kind of stuff that you need to uh, weed through to to get to the gold um and you know it's it's part of that frustration that we you know we 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 kind of have this pacifier that blocks us from from those emotions because we we are increasingly not willing to face that frustration um to to get to that gold uh, and I think I think that's part of the problem as well is is you know being able to accept that when you do sit down and when you do have quiet and you do have clarity, it's not necessarily going to be easy. You're going to have to fight some some boredom ultimately and uh, and frustration too. That actually triggers an idea that I heard from an author called James Altucher, and his idea was that he kind of says that your idea generation is a muscle. So that the ability to come up with fresh ideas is a muscle, right? So it starts off weak and feeble. We all start off, we go to the gym for the first time and we feel terrible because we can barely lift anything and these these small muscles. And it takes time and practice and and consistency to develop that muscle. And so what he suggests for for people, and I think it's quite a cool experiment for, for people to run, is that when you wake up in the morning, before you look at your phone, what he does is he pulls out what he calls an idea journal. And okay. he will sit and write down 10 ideas every morning. 
Now, this idea could be anything. It could be something about your breakfast cereal. It could be a new business you want to start. It could be an idea for a song lyric. It can be anything you want. There's no kind of limits in that. But he forces himself to write 10 ideas every single morning on a piece of paper before he starts his day. And what he says that does for him is that it builds that idea muscle. And it means that, like you say, it gets a little bit easier every time because you're kind of greasing the wheels a bit and you're letting your creativity fly. When you're a kid, you don't have to do that because you're always imagining. You're always thinking. You're always being creative. But as an adult, we learn to kind of put that away because it doesn't pay the bills, right? We learn to do the stuff that pays the bills. And so this experiment, I think, is quite useful. And it's something that I, I tried a couple of years ago and found really real value in, and maybe I should be revisiting it, is this idea of flexing that idea muscle on a regular basis without the phone, without the influence, without other people's ideas. And you'll be amazed at what comes out. Of course, in, in, in 100 ideas, 98 are going to be terrible. <laughs> but those two that are great, they could, they could be the things that change your life completely. And you never will get there unless you give yourself the space to come up with those 98 bad ideas in order to get that good idea. I love that because there's no, there's no pressure on it. You, you just wake up and whatever, whatever idea it is in whatever realm or sphere of your life, uh, it's fine. Put it down on the page. Rather than you know, when, when you block out a, an hour of your time to write, there's this kind of pressure on it because you're there to write. And so when you're not writing, you're kind of like, well you know, why am I not, why am I not able to do this? Uh, so I love that as you wake up, kind of jot something down. And that also uh, touches really nicely on, uh, you know, the, the, the benefits of, of sleep and the, you know, creativity following sleep, uh, in, in Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, which we've both read, uh, I think he talks about, was it Einstein or, or, or who was it Barry? You can, you can certainly correct me on this. Um, but somebody would, would, would kind of sit down on a chair and sleep with like a metal ball in their hand with a tray or something underneath them. And as soon as they fell asleep, i.e. their hand kind of relaxed such that the ball dropped, it woke them up straight away. And uh, in that particular moment, they would kind of write down ideas. Who, who is it? Am I right? Is it Einstein? I, I feel like it's Einstein. Yeah, In my mind, it's either Edison Einstein or, or Roosevelt. I think, I think okay. it was Einstein. But in, nonetheless, the, the anecdote is really powerful because it talks mm. to our, our neuropsychology and it talks to how our brain works. And this weird thing that happens where we're not going at a problem directly, we're kind of letting our subconscious do the work in the mm. background and then we're trying to capture that idea. I, I know I know I've had tons of ideas when I wake up in the morning and if I don't write them down, they just disappear forever. Half an hour yeah. later, I can't remember a thing, right? And so especially for creative projects, for writing and for for anything creative, it's really there's a lot of value in just having notebooks everywhere and just whenever something comes up, like rush to write, write it down because the moment you, you don't write it down, it disappears forever. Yeah. Um, and that's what flexing the idea muscle is all about, is, is making the most of your psychology and, and realizing that you actually do have thousands of ideas. You really do. Yeah. But unless you give yourself the space to find them and unless you actually capture them in some way, um, you're going to think that you don't have any ideas because you never actually act on any of them. You never actually see them in real life. And there's real power in finding the space to look for them and then getting them down on a piece of paper and actually looking them in the face and being like, there's something special, Chad, when you look at 10 ideas you've just come up yeah. with yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's a really like, there's, there's a lot of pride there. It's like, oh, mm. wow, I actually can do this. It actually is quite a cool thing. I can look at that. Um, and it doesn't matter who sees them. It doesn't matter how good they are. It's the fact that you are coming up with new ideas, which is cool. I love it. Um, a great place to, uh, to to kind of come to an end. But before we do, Barry, um, just a comment here from, from Robin, uh, which is, Talking of boundaries, 
obviously when we were talking a little bit earlier. The container theory is a very interesting one to look into. Have you heard about the container theory? It's certainly not something I've dealt with. I have, I haven't. Um, so we'll have to go and look into it. My, my cool. guess in the, my stab in the dark would be some sort of compartmentalization of trying to kind of put different, put your work and your personal life and different pieces into, into different containers. And so maybe Robin can let us know if that's yeah. on the right track or if not, we'll have to do some research, do some homework, Chad, and bring it back for episode 73 of Across the Pond. Well, let's do that. I think that's that's a great idea. Let's, let's pop that onto the agenda for next week. But as always, thank you so much for tuning in. We really do enjoy having you here. Uh, also, if, you, if you're listening to us after the fact, uh, we love having you as part of the Across the Pond family. If you have not tuned in to our uh, social media networks, uh, you can check us out on Twitter at Across underscore podcast. We're on Instagram at Across the Pondcast. And we're on Facebook too. You can find us across the pond podcast. Barry, I've had such a great one. Uh, why don't you uh, give us the final bye-bye before we come back next week again? Go out there, live your life, find space, have a good Easter weekend and be kind to yourself, everybody. And we'll see you back here next week, same time, same place for another episode of Across the Pond. Oh.